The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode four of season three of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. First off, I want to thank you all for being patient. We had to skip last week. I was just way deep in some data work for the new website, and I just had to get that finished, so I didn't have time to put the episode together. But we are back. This is the fourth episode of season three. And if you recall, this season, I am breaking out the format that we were doing in season two, where we would have a little bit of technique, a little bit of an interview, a little bit of gear talk, all crammed into one. We're blowing that out, so each episode is going to be focusing on one of those topics. This week, it is all about drumming and technique. So the first episode of the season was when I got Thomas Went and David Throckmorton, and Paul Wells was our guest in the studio. We talked about Steve Gadd, so we've got another one coming up with Paul. Um, I think that'll be next week. That was our 10 Reasons to Love Steve Gadd. And then episode two was all about gear talk. We brought, I brought in Carter McLean, and we did some blindfold tests with a bunch of different maple drums that had different types of shells, some with plywood with reed rings, some plywood without reed rings. One had a solid shell, one had wood hoops, and we were just seeing which we preferred without knowing what it was. That was super fun. And then last week, Throck came in and interviewed Kush. Um, that was a really fun interview. So this week, it's all about technique. So I'm kind of testing this concept, so it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, but before we get into that, let's thank our intro beat. So that intro beat was called Bottom Shelf Blues, and it was submitted by Nick Diedrichson. And here's what Nick has to say about that. It says, hey, Mike, I love the podcast. Lots of cool topics to keep me alert on my commutes. I recorded this song on my front porch a while ago for my YouTube channel. I was inspired by David Garibaldi's Future Sounds book. Um, the kit is a Yamaha Recording Custom 22-inch bass drum and a Yamaha Sensitive Series 5.5 by 14 snare. The Hi-Hat are 14-inch Sildjian Karopes. The keyboard is a Fender Rhodes that I recovered in Tweed and played through my neighbor's twin reverb amp. I used an AKG C214 on the snare and hats, an EV RE320 for the kick, and a Sennheiser E906 for the Rhodes. I ran it all through a two-channel PreSonus interface into my aging MacBook. Thanks, Nick. That was super cool of you. I bet your neighbors appreciated hearing you serenade them from your front porch. Um, if any of you want to get your beats on the show, I think I have a couple in the can that are still going to be used, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you're doing, hear the type of um, creations you can come up with. So send your intro beats over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com include a little bit of a write-up about what gear you're using kind of the concept behind the beat and we will feature you in a future episode again that is drumcandypodcast at gmail.com okay before we get super nerdy on the lesson portion of the episode just some, a bit of news some updates um, we have a bunch of new dfd restocks so if you've been waiting for any product hopefully you're getting your email notification that it's back in stock we also have a bunch of new products that we're just we're racing to get up onto the site um, that's part of what I'm working on is writing new descriptions and organizing photography and all that stuff for the new new products. So if you're looking for something, now would be the time to head over to Drum Factor Direct to make sure you grab whatever you need before it runs out of stock again. Secondly, I've mentioned this in a couple episodes already, but we have this Mark Giuliano Masterclass coming up on April 29th. That's over at Hawthorne Drum Shop. The tickets are 99 bucks a piece. 
they are gone pretty quickly. There's still a handful left. So if you want to get over here to Pittsburgh or if you're in Pittsburgh or somewhere nearby, whether it's Cleveland or Columbus or D.C. or Morgantown or whatever, um, you might want to get your tickets soon. I don't think they're going to be um, – I think it's going to sell out probably here in the next week or so. So go over to – it's. it'll be linked in the description from the episode, but it's also on Eventbrite. You can search for Mark Juliana Masterclass and Hawthorne Drum Shop. Um, we've got some giveaways to announce with that. So for the price of admission, you're going to be entered in to win an Istanbul symbol, Istanbul Agop symbol. Um, and again, we're limiting this to 30 possible tickets. So you have a 1 in 30 chance of leaving there with, you know, well over triple the value of your ticket price. Uh, we also have Vic Firth is sending some, some swag. And DFD is going to be throwing in some stuff. So you'll probably walk away with darn near enough to cover your ticket price. So anyway, that's uh, the Mark Juliana Masterclass on April 29th, 4 to 6, roughly. We're going to be hanging out all day and probably staying a little bit late as well. But that's going to be the meat of the Masterclass. So go check it out on Eventbrite. Also, we still have a bunch of can't see it, but I'm wearing this. This is the Drum Candy t-shirt here. It's got the heathered maroon uh, fabric. I would pull my shirt apart here, but my microphone is attached. But it's got the full color logo. I'm not a very good salesman because it's covered up, but it's a super cool shirt, super comfortable. I wear it all the time, not just to promote the show, but I just dig it. So we have a bunch of them. I think we still have small, medium, large, and extra large. They're overall in Drum Factor Direct, so get yourself a shirt and join the party. All right, let's dig into our main topic. This is a lesson that I wrote originally for the December issue of Percussive Notes. Percussive Notes is the magazine, I believe it's bi-monthly magazine for the Percussive Art Society. If you're a member of PAS, you get this magazine for free. Um, you can get it digitally or print version. So anyone listening who's not a member of Percussive Art Society, you sh certainly should go join up. I think it's 100 bucks or something to join. You have access to everything on the website. It gets you discounted rates to PASIC. Um, and it's just a cool resource. It's our, it's our one society for, for drummers and percussionists around the world. And there's a lot of stuff you might be missing out. So and also events and things, and there's you know bulletins for job openings, all that kind of stuff is all kind of wrapped into the Percussive Arts Society. So go to pas.org, get yourself a membership, and join that community. Um, so this this was something I wrote for Percussive Notes, um, and it was it's based on some of the things I've been teaching with working with students, and I've used in my clinics for for several years on how to be creative when you're practicing basic independence. So the article is titled, Creative Practice, How to Build Vocabulary with Basic Independence. Um, so in this video, I, I, this video was recorded for that article. So it's a bit of a, a truncated version of the presentation. Um, in clinic form, this would be blown out for like an hour, but it's like a 11 or 12 minutes. So I try to, to get as much information as I possibly could into one, I believe it's, I'm looking at it now, it's a one, two, two and a half page article. Um, it really, this stuff I've been working on so much, it could fill up half a book and that was originally the intention. But this is just the primer. So the premise is just to, to, to get creative freedom with simple rhythms over simple ostinatos. So this article focuses on just a quarter note, a quarter note with the right hand, in fact, and then working on all the possible single and double note subdivisions with 16th notes, with the left hand, with the right foot, with the left foot, 
and then improvising with that very basic material and just seeing how far you can explore, how far you can take it with, you know, orchestration, with dynamics, with ornaments like buzzes and rim shots and dead strokes and all that kind of stuff. So the whole point is take a tiny little bit of information and see how, how much you can get out of it, how far you can push it, and then can you keep pushing it? Can you keep reaching for new things? I tell a lot of my students, you gotta, you got to practice through the boredom. So once you kind of hit a wall, it's that you, there's no possible way you're ever going to exhaust these topics. So if like once you hit a wall and you think like, man, I really can't do anything else, it's usually just a matter of, well, just change one thing, move the right hand or experiment with brushes or mallets, you know, just change something and you're going to, you're going to open up a whole new world. So anyway, I don't want to repeat too much of what this is about. So here's the lesson, greater practice. What's up, everyone? It's Mike Dawson here from Drum Factor Direct and the Drum Candy Podcast. And in this video, I want to take you through my article that I wrote for Percussive Notes entitled Creative Practice, How to Build Vocabulary with Basic Independence. I think when most of us think of independence practice, we think of complicated four-limb ostinatos and polyrhythms, but really it doesn't need to be that complicated. If you can play a steady quarter note with one limb, there's a lot you could do creatively and musically with that. So for instance, we're going to just pick a sound source and play quarter notes. In this case, I'm going to go bell the ride cymbal. We'll go uh, a slow tempo like 80 BPM. Just play quarter notes at 80 BPM. Let's start there. And that's pretty easy, right? Just steady quarter notes with one hand. Now you're going to play all the possible variations of a single 16th note with the left hand on the snare drum. So that'll be on the downbeat, on the E, on the and and on the uh. And we're gonna play each one four times. One, two, three, four. So that should be pretty easy for most of us. Rather than add anything more complicated, what we're going to do is we're going to now improvise with just those four rhythmic ideas with the left hand on the snare drum. We're going to try to create interesting four bar phrases. I'm going to put the bass drum on beat one of the four bar phrase just to remind ourselves where it starts over. All right, here we go. Now that might not be the most interesting thing at the moment, but what I'm doing is I'm testing my fluency. Can I play each of those four rhythms at will wherever I hear them and wherever I want them and not lose track of the quarter note steadiness or the four bar phrase? Now, let's give ourselves some more, a, a wider palette. Let's add some nuance to the snare drum. So instead of just hitting dead center, you can hit rim shots, you can hit off center, you can hit buzzes, rim clicks. 
Um, let's just try that. So same idea, steady quarter note with the right hand on the ride cymbal with all the different nuances. We also have all the dynamics from super quiet to super loud. Here we go. So now our ideas have just expanded infinitely. We can improvise in that world as long as you want. And trust me, there's always more to explore. So let's say the next step, you can go any number of directions, but the next thing I would do, let's try orchestrating that left hand around the tom, snare, and cymbal sounds. See what we got now. Again, four bar phrase, I'm delineating the four bar phrase with the bass drum on beat one. It should be starting to sound like music now. I'm actually playing melodic phrases, I'm repeating ideas, I'm finding little themes and variations all over the steady quarter note. Where do we go from here? Um, let's just try, instead of just playing steady quarter notes on the ride cymbal, let's move that between two sources and then we've got all the, so now we're gonna have a moving ostinato, but still just quarter notes, and the left hand is gonna be improvising around the drums. Try that. The next thing that I would suggest is do this whole process with the bass drum. So go back to just playing those four basic rhythms, get them nice and solid. Now I'll improvise the four bar phrase with just the bass drum over that quarter note. Three, four. Now let's try having a conversation between the bass drum and snare drum. We're only using those four single note patterns. Now let's move the left hand around.
let's try moving the right hand between two sources while improvising with the bass drum and snare drum. All right, we can't leave out the left foot, so let's just work on the four basic rhythms again. Now let's improvise, and I'm also gonna add in some splashes and some whatever extra sounds I can get from the left foot. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All right, we're going to put all that together. So the bass drum, left hand, left foot are all going to be improvising. Left hand can move around. It can play different articulations. Left foot can splash or hit chomps. Right hand is going to play. Let's just add them all together. So we're going to do between two sources. The right hand is going to be moving. The other three limbs are improvising. Hopefully you can see that the possibilities are really endless. It gets you thinking melodically, musically, adhering to a four bar phrase. It's working on your time. It's working on your independence. Uh, there's always more that you can explore with this. I, I say practice through the boredom. Once you think you've maxed it out, try something different. There's always some new combinations kind of lurking behind the next door. Um, and then if you really, really think you've got complete fluency with those single 16th notes, explore two 16th notes per quarter note or three or four until eventually you're just improvising freely in a 16th note world over top of a quarter note. And then you can say, well, why don't I do the quarter note on the offbeat or maybe eighth notes or 16th notes? And it just compounds and just keeps multiplying and you're always thinking musically, you're always thinking with shape and contour and deliberate. You're not just playing licks and patterns. Um, yeah, so hope you got something out of this and I'm just going to improvise freely, slightly faster tempo using all these concepts together.
All right, so again, that's like a crash course on this stuff. Each one of these little bits, if I'm working with a student one-on-one, we would take each one of those bits and spend a lesson just on single notes and single notes on the snare drum or double notes on just one one surface or single notes on different surfaces. Like, it, w- it would be way blown out. I wouldn't go straight into, like, moving the right hand. There's so many ways. This is like a choose-your-own-adventure once you start coming up with variations. And that's all just over a quarter note. And you could do the same thing if you just put that quarter note instead of on the right hand, put it on the bass drum and do three-limb basic improvisations with the right hand, left hand, and left foot. Or put the quarter note on the left foot or put the quarter note on the left hand. You can see how this can go on and on and on. So you're not only developing independence, but you're also developing phrasing because you're always thinking in like four-bar phrases and you know, and you're working on your timing because these are very simple rhythms that you can't you can't fake. You can't fake the E's and the U's. They got to be accurate, or it's just going to sound sloppy and and incorrect. Um, so that's just with a quarter note. And then you can do eighth notes. And so I'll probably revisit this and do like a fresh version, maybe a series of these that kind of breaks it down a little bit more concisely. But I just wanted to share this lesson because I, I filmed it specifically for PAS. And I didn't want to kind of like just disappear into the ether once that magazine went off the shelf. So anyway, let me know what you think of this stuff. If this lesson concept is cool for you, um, you can always reach out to me. I do have a Patreon page where some of this stuff is is explained a little bit more. I'm going to be digging back into that page here shortly and really kind of workshopping some of this stuff that I want to turn into book form. So, you know, hit me up with a DM on Instagram, or you can email drumcandypodcast at gmail.com with any feedback, any questions, um, if you want to work with me directly on a one-on-one basis, all that stuff. So connect with me there. Thanks for checking it out. Let's move on to Shop Talk. All right, let's head over to Hawthorne Drum Shop. This is actually the last of a batch of little mini Shop Talk episodes I filmed when I visited over there a month or so ago. And this time we are checking out a really cool antique Ludwig kit. What are we looking at here? This is spectacular. I see it's a Ludwig. I don't know anything more about it. So what do we got? Uh, so this is a marble pearl outfit. Amazing. Uh, made by Ludwig and Ludwig. I think this first showed up in the catalog in 1928. Okay. Um, made for a couple of years. Uh, definitely one of like a more rare, rare finish. And then a lot of really cool rare, hard to find stuff in the 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them had bigger 28-inch bass drums. Most of them are solid, solid shell. Try saying that like ten times. <laughs> solid shell snares. Um, yeah, pretty cool. What's it made out of? Maple. These are all maple. I think it's maple. I don't remember what the bass drum is. Is this a? How many lugs are on this? Sucker? Ten. Oh, it looks like there's more. So it's more. a. This is a professional snare. You kind of see in there, it's maple. Ten lugs, all nickel hardware. Um. This was in pretty rough shape, like the set was when we got it. Um, this is actually a wrap, too. Not, oh, no kidding. Yeah. So was this just sitting in like a, like a ballroom or something? Um, so we, I got this from a friend in California who got it from a friend <laughs> who got it at an estate sale. Okay. So oh, getting this thing shipped in was like nervous the whole time. Yeah, um, no doubt. Is this, is this a solid bass drum? No, it's a three-ply, yeah. They did make, Stone made a solid bass drum. Um, there weren't a lot. I've had like a couple marchers that were solid, that mm. were Slingerland, but 
Yeah, the bass drums are usually a fly drum. Oh, okay. Um, both hoops were broken at the scarf joint. Uh, I did my best to glue them, but I'm not a uh, woodworker. But single tension. Single tension. Your favorite. I hate single tension. Bass drums, I don't think it bothers me. Snare drums, it's like the worst thing ever. Yeah. Um, that's the way they did it back then, you know? Uh, pretty, everything was pretty rusty, so we had to kind of get rid of the rust. And I'm sure it'll come back, because anytime like there's corrosion, you mm -hmm. can make it look good for a period of time, it comes back. Some of, some of the accessories were included, some of them were missing. The ones that were complete, we included. This is the symbol. Gooseneck, I guess, yeah. sort of. Hang off there. That would have been one of we those. We didn't have the other piece. China that, things, yeah. probably. We didn't have the piece that goes with that. It's got a dual uh, temple block. Temple. No, what do you, I can't remember what they would call that. I mean, I guess it's a temple block yeah. of some sort. Wood but, block. Very cool. So have you seen this wrap on any mm -hmm. other drums? Yeah, there was a... Nelson had a, had a snare drum that they just sold that was that. Um, and I think that there, I saw another outfit that was a little bit nicer than this that another shop had that sold. Um, pretty cool. This is... Not the original painted bass drum head. It's funny, I put this on my Instagram story, like my personal one, mm. and my wife said, what is that? I said, it's, a, it's an elk. And she didn't answer. And she said, what was that on your bass drum, your story when you get home? I said, oh, it was a bass drum. She goes, did you paint that? I said, no. She goes, oh, good, because it's terrible. <laughs> oh, she must be an artist. She is, yeah. <laughs> Like, I thought it's, it's nice. <laughs> I think it looks okay. Wait, do you see some of the other ones that they made, like the leading ones? Oh, lordy. I think the more kind of weird they are, the better, really. Yeah. They had a, they had a pirate ship one, Leedy did. Like a maybe not a pirate ship, but it was a ship. I'll have to tell you a story offline about it. <laughs> it's, it's freaking but. Would this have come with, like, Chinese tactiles yeah. or something? Yeah, it would have had, um, I think that you could, like, kind of, kind of pick and choose like a la carte what you wanted if mm. I had to guess but sometimes you get them with a trap table oh, right. you know various temple blocks and splash mounts and you know a lot of times there would have been a mount on the back there's like a little it kind of looks like a tooth and it's a symbol holder that will attach to the hoop so every time you hit it it makes a sound oh weird yeah, yeah. yeah. what would this eye hook been for um which one there's like an eye hook here you know what I, I don't know. It wasn't a marching drum, right? No. And, oh, so I, you probably can't see. There's two holes right here, or two screws. And on the inside, it had the two original lights. Oh, right. So they, they would put lights in, in drums from this period because of the calf to kind of control, yeah. you know, the tension and, you know, the weather, I guess. And it probably looked cool, too. Let me get the pedal that came with this. I don't know. So this is the original pedal. <laughs> You can see some things are just the same, you know, for the last hundred years. You, once you make it right, <laughs> it's in perfect condition. Yeah, it's still got the it's still got the plastic on. <laughs> so I'm really not very funny. Um, this is the original pedal. Pretty good shape. Everything works. That's not bad. Given <clears throat> yeah. the Time period. I think even the springs original. <clears throat> but I think that this is. I don't. Know, I don't get enough of like the twenty stuff in. Oh, that been the beater for the, the mounted symbol? Yeah, I think so. But this is in really nice shape. I have one of these personally. Um, but, like, could you imagine, like, playing that? I mean, I guess you had to, right? It's not bad. I mean, what were you doing back in the 20s? Yeah, I mean, you had, like, a lot of feathering in the bass drum. Yeah, 
four on the floor, not much. And you're like in there, like in dress shoes and all that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> But like that, that's, that's like before they made straps and chains, like it's literally just a piece of metal. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you could just fabricate your replacements yeah. out of a coat hanger. But it's surprisingly smooth. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Ludwig was founded on. It's also kind of neat too that this can kind of pivot a little bit here. Back and uh, forth. Yeah. yeah. So. I think like the early engineering and stuff is really interesting to kind of see how, how I'm not like a historian by any means, but you know, just kind of looking at how things have stayed the same and, and changed over the years. Like this footboard reminds me a lot of the Speedmaster pedal that, the, that Ludwig did in the 60s. It's got a mm -hmm. little thin board. It's but. almost like half a pedal. It's just missing the other bracket. Yeah. And then we're there. It's got the patent number on it too. Five. I don't know what that is. There's a 71524 on here. I wonder what that is. But these but these beaters are like popular now too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a really cool piece. It's it's one of the few. I, again, I don't get a lot of 20 stuff in. Um, I still don't think I live in like the area where you'd find a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of the New England area. But really cool. This this piece is for sale. So we'll ship it to you if you want. It's got the original snare stand too. Can you imagine playing this though, Mike? I mean, again, if you're only playing super light, I guess it looks like a, I don't know what that looks like to me. <laughs> Still kicking after almost a hundred years, you know? I mean, it's well designed. They just weren't thinking durability. This was definitely pre-rock and roll. <laughs> Pre-DW9000, right? <laughs> There's no hydraulic lift on this sucker. Has this wrap ever been reissued? No, but it's funny, like we did the segment on, on Mod Orange and like this almost looks like it's printed, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it doesn't have a lot of depth. Yeah, you're right. I guess it's just two-toned. But yeah. it's, it's like, you can see some stuff. What's that ink blot? The, the <laughs> it's like an ink blot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call that? Not the Rorschach test. Yeah, yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Wow, I remember like something. Skeletons, or yeah. whatever you want to see, you can find in there. <laughs> it kind, this kind of, Leedy did a jade green which is a lot darker of a green color. And it, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit in the fact that it doesn't have a whole lot of depth, but. Would this have been like bone white or you think it was a, like a marble? I think it wasn't, I think more, everyone I've seen has been more. It might've been, and you know, when we took the hardware off to clean it, like, didn't know it, like sometimes we'll take hardware off a kit and you're like, you'll see the original color behind the lug. Mm -hmm. Didn't really have any of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fascinating. What are, what are we calling this sucker? Uh, Marble Pearl drum set. There we go. Ludwig. Just Ludwig, not Ludwig and Ludwig. Nope. Just the Ludwig. <laughs> no, that's Ludwig and Ludwig. Oh, it is? See, they put their name on there three times. Oh, Ludwig, yeah. and then on the Ludwig, and Ludwig. So there's three Ludwigs. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about, I mean, that's, I guess that's more of a conversation for Bart. Like, Ludwig and Ludwig versus Ludwig and Leedy and Khan yeah. and all that stuff. And WFL comes back into the picture. And then Roland. <laughs> All right. Okay, I do have one listener question that I want to get to. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer in the show in a future episode, shoot them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if it's a question that I can't answer, I will send it out to someone that I, I think can give you an adequate answer. So this week, this comes from Jason Farlow. Jason says... Um, 
I have a 90s black relight, and I'm trying to re recreate that Clyde Stubblefield funky drummer Winston's Amen Break snare sound. I have a Rainbow Fiberskin 3 batterhead and an Evans 300 Hazy Resonant on the drum. It has 2.3 triple flange hoops. I just ordered a 12-strand snare wire. Um, any ideas on tuning or what I should do to get it there? I'm just putting it together, and any help would be appreciated. Okay, great question and a great quest. Um, it's a, it's a perfect drum for that. The Black Relight, if no one knows, that's the it's a Ludwig, Ludwig Acrylite that came out in the 90s where they put like a black speckled paint on it. Kind of looks almost like a Black Beauty, but it's it's an aluminum shell. Um, I have that, and I have all I have all the different versions of Acrylites. They all sound slightly different, but they all kind of do the same thing, which is exactly the sound that I think you're looking for. Dry, kind of snappy, quick. Um, James Brown, funky drummer kind of sound. So, a couple suggestions. You say you have a Remo Fiberskin 3 batter head on it. That might be a little bit too old school sounding, a little bit too muted. I would just go with a single ply coated ambassador if you're a Remo player, a single ply um, G1 if you're Evans or an Aquarian texture coated. Um, you could probably go even thinner coated Diplomat if you really want that kind of bright sound. That depends on how hard you hit. If, you, if you're a hard hitter, the Diplomat's not going to last very long. I think you can get away with a coated ambassador or any kind of single-ply. DFT has single-ply 10 mil heads that are actually really nice. I just beta tested a whole bunch of them, and they hold up really nice, and they do really get that old-school kind of sound. So any manufacturer, DFT, Evans, Remo, Aquarian, Attack, whatever you use, just get a single ply, like a 10 mil single ply coated head. That's going to be the best choice, in my opinion. Um, the bottom head, I think, is fine. That's the like the medium weight resonant head. This might be the trick here. You have 2.3 triple flange. Those old drums came with 1.6, so you might want to get some thinner 1.6 hoops and throw that on there. Um, and maybe even possibly, if you're really looking to take this thing to the next level, get some of the chrome over brass 1.6. But just regular 1.6 triple flange steel. It's going to be a more open sound. It's going to have a softer kind of rim shot feel. Um, that's, that was what they used back in the day. So that's going to be a little bit closer to the original kind of vibe. The 2.3 might just be a little bit more aggressive and chunkier sounding than the, the funky drummer sound, I think is, I think it would be pretty thin and pretty bright. So try the lighter hoops. I think the snare wires you got are perfect, 12 strands. Um, tuning wise, crank it. Crank the top, crank the bottom. I would crank the bottom pretty much to the highest note it possibly can and then maybe back it off just a little bit so it's not choking out. And then with the batter head, same thing. I would take it up basically to where the head is not getting any higher, it's just getting more choked. Like find the, find the spot right when the shell starts to contribute to the sound. So you go really high, you hear nothing but drum head. And then just back it down eighth a turn and, and play it until finally you hear the, the shell kind of resonate a little bit more with the batter head. That's going to be like the high, the upper tuning that that drum will ever do. Um, and that might be the spot. So then once you establish that ceiling, like that's as high as this drum can go, then turn on the original, turn on Funky Drummer, play along to it, and just try to match. Like, is my drum sounding higher note or a lower note than James Brown track? And then just tune it until you get the pitch the same. The bottom head, 
tight. Doesn't really matter. Snares, pretty tight. Not super tight, but pretty tight to where they're not rattling. And that's going to be the trick. Uh, from there, you just got to practice that groove. <laughs> anyway, so I hope that helps. So again, if anyone has any questions, shoot them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Jason. And let's see, I was going to wrap it up here with our warehouse pick of the week. This is probably a repeat, but um, these DFD practice pads that we have, man, you got to, if you don't have one, you got to check them out. One side is a black, like medium hard rubber, and the other side is a maroon soft kind of neoprene surface. So you can get like more of a, like a quieter and a more intense workout on the neoprene side. Flip it over, you get more kind of a realistic drum rebound. And it's compact, it's, a, it's an eight inch pad, so it easily fits into a, a book bag or a laptop bag if you're on the road. In fact, Giuseppe is out with Devil's Wear, Devil Wears Prada right now, and he's using that for his daily warm up. So it's a cool pad. We're really proud to have put these together. Um, and I don't think they're quite getting the uh, the attention they deserve. So go check out the DFD practice pad. I believe we're still also including a free pair of 5B hickory wood tip sticks if you buy the pad. So that's it. Um, and that's it for this week's episode. Again, thank you all for being patient as we get this new season rolling. I really do want to hear from you about, you know, do you like these lesson ideas? Um, is it just too much? Just, just I want to, I want to know because you know we're we're tweaking as we go. We're, this show is going to be in a constant state of flux. So the more input you can give me, the better. Um, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or the Drum Factory Direct page. Email drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. Um, I want to hear from you, and also give us a review and a five star rating. That would be much appreciated. All right, see you next time.